Welcome to NBA Talk with Isaac Wolf. I am your host, Isaac Wolf. Two controversial but exciting games last night. Let's start off by talking about Rockets Thunder. Game seven, win or go home, Lugens Dort finally started to hit shots. And he hit a lot of them. He had 18 points at halftime, 30 for the game. He went six of 12 from three. Listen to this stat. There are three players in NBA history to score 25 or more points in a game seven at age 21 or younger. LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, and Lugens Dort. <laughs> that stat made me laugh out loud when I first saw it. I couldn't believe it. I could not believe it. Lugens Dort is in a category, in a game seven category, with Kobe Bryant and LeBron James as one of three players in NBA history to score 25 or more points in a game seven at age 21 or younger. That is something you should hold on to for the next time you play NBA trivia if you ever do that. Because nobody will ever guess that. Lou Gensdort, now in company with Kobe Bryant and LeBron James. <laughs> I don't know what got into him, but I mean, when you miss so many open threes the past few games, you have to make some eventually, right? That's what he did, and he kept OKC in this game. You would think with him going off, they would be in the lead, but he didn't have a ton of help. Chris Paul became the oldest player to ever have a triple-double in a game seven at 35 years old, 19 points, 11 rebounds, 12 assists. He did his part until the very end, which we will get to in a minute. Jay Gildas Alexander had 19, Schroeder only 12 points off the bench, Gallinari only had four. So that was the issue. Lou Dort was carrying the load offensively. He was the game's leading scorer, but he didn't get the help he needed. Dort played terrific D on James Harden, who only shot four of 15. He had 17 points in the game. He went one of nine from three as well. But James Harden would get the get the last laugh. In the fourth quarter, Thunder down by two. Shea Gilgis Alexander, corner three with 142 to go to put OKC up 102-101. Then PJ Tucker pump fakes on a corner three. Drives right around Steven Adams, hits a floater to confusion the lead with 125 to go. After a Dennis Schroeder miss from three, a wild sequence occurs. P.J. Tucker and Steven Adams fight for the loose ball on the rebound. It ends up in the hands of Eric Gordon. Gordon gets trapped at half court. Chris Paul flops to try and get an offensive foul. Nothing is called. However, Gordon turns the ball over after Steven Adams comes over and helps Paul on the trap. Gordon falls to the floor looking for a foul. Then Chris Paul goes the other way. James Harden tries to draw an offensive foul. He flops. Paul misses the shot from mid-range, and Robert Covington grabs the rebound. It was 20 of the most stressful seconds I have ever watched during a basketball game, <laughs> and no one scored. The timeout was called after Covington grabbed that rebound to pretty much calm things down because everybody was out of control. After that timeout, Westbrook missed a layup, and the Thunder got the ball back with less than a second difference between the shot clock and game clock. Chris Paul has the ball, and at this very moment, with 17 seconds left I thought the rocket season was over I am not going to lie to you I thought Chris Paul was going to come up in the clutch again run the clock down take the last shot I mean he said it himself or he implied it himself that he is built for these clutch moments but he passed the ball with 10 seconds left he had Robert Covington on him and he passed the ball Jay Gilgis Alexander now with it, he looks across the floor, finds Lou Dort, who has been hot all game, and he is blocked by none other than James Harden. That would prove to be the series-winning play. The Thunder could not get a good playoff the last second inbound. P.J. Tucker stole it from Steven Adams, who got the inbounds pass, and the Rockets hold on to win, 
It was a crazy, crazy game. And guess what? James Harden got the last laugh on Lou Dort. Dort locked him up all game and went off offensively. But the man who has been criticized in the past for not playing defense just saved the Rockets' season on a terrific block. It was clean, all ball. And if you look at his defense during that possession before the block, he made a very smart decision. He very made a very smart decision before that. He was fronting Stephen Adams on the block while Shea Gilgis-Alexander had the ball on the opposite wing. He was watching the ball, but also had a hand on Adams so he knew where he was, not a foul or anything. Now, Harden had to wait patiently because when Gilgis-Alexander was penetrating, depending on what Harden did, he had two options. If Harden stayed put and... Gilgis Alexander could have passed the ball to Dort, who was open from three. He'd been hot all game. That makes the most sense. But if James Harden had anticipated the pass, Gilgis Alexander could have faked the pass, watched James Harden run toward Dort, and dumped it off to Steven Adams, who would have dunked it and gave the Thunder a one-point lead. But Harden waited until the pass was made to go at Dort. And then when he charged at Dort, he went to his right side he went to his side uh his shooting hand so he could avoid that chest-to-chest contact which that we saw from Goran Dragic and Chris Middleton which we will talk about later the Heat Bucks game controversial ending but Harden went to his right side got all ball didn't didn't touch him at all other anywhere else just a great great defensive play from James Harden to save the season Okay, here's the funniest thing to me in this game. And I'm sorry, the Rockets fan in me is about to burst out. But Chris Paul, in his post-game interview after game six, when he was asked about coming up big in clutch moments, said, some people are built for it. Some people shy away from it. Of course, he's implying that he's built for it. Because the Thunder are the most clutch team in the league, except for last night. Last night was their first clutch time loss this season. Clutch time is within five points with under five minutes to go in the fourth quarter or overtime. And Chris Paul, I believe, has like the second, first or second most points in the clutch this season. But Chris Paul had his chance. This is the very next game after he says some people are built for it, some people shy away from it. He had his chance. Oh, he had his chance. He went one-on-one with Robert Covington, who he had been schooling all game long. I don't know why Covington couldn't handle it. I mean... Paul's ball handling ability is top tier in the league, but Covington is also a very good defender. However, Chris Paul had owned him when they had gone one-on-one earlier in the game. And he passed the ball. Chris Paul, Mr. I'm built for the I'm built for the clutch moments. Passed the ball to Shea Gilgis Alexander with 10 seconds left. He didn't even take the shot. I don't know. I thought for sure he was just going to dribble it out until about five seconds left, make a move, and hit the buzzer beater because there was less than the one, less than a second difference between the shot clock and the game clock. So I thought he was just going to run it down to the buzzer. But no. Chris Ball passed it. He passed the ball. And it, it was almost a turnover. Westbrook almost stole it. And then that ended up turning into the Shea Alexander pass to Lou Dort, who got blocked. Chris Paul passed the ball. The game after he says, I'm built for the clutch moments. Oh my goodness. I I could not believe it when I saw it. I was so relieved when the ball left his hands. I was like, oh my gosh. He just passed the ball. <laughs> he just passed the ball. 
You're supposed to be the most clutch player in the league. You have what? You have a favorable matchup, and you pass the ball, and it cost you your season. I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. The Rockets fan in me was about to explode. It had to come out. Let's move on to Bucks Heat. Let's just skip to the fourth quarter, actually, because that's where it got interesting. The Heat went up by 10 with seven minutes left. The Bucks made a quick 7-0 run in the next two minutes. But Miami responded and went up nine with two minutes to go. Milwaukee gets a couple stops. Giannis scores the next five points, cuts the lead to four after a Bam Adebayo score. It's a six-point game with 19.8 seconds left. Giannis dunks it to cut it to four. Jimmy Butler catches the inbound, gets trapped by George Hill and Kyle Korver, and turns the ball over. Brooke Lopez lays it in, and all of a sudden it's a two-point game with eight seconds left. Really dumb decision from Jimmy Butler. He just threw it. He just threw it up toward his own basket. Like he assumed the inbounder, I forget who it was. He assumed the inbounder was just gonna be there, but Brooke Lopez was there instead. And it that kind of messed things up. On the other end, Butler made one of two free throws to put the Heat up three, 114 to 111. And now comes the controversy. Chris Middleton was fouled by Goran Dragic on a three-point shot. Or was he? I don't think he was. It's it's a really it's a really difficult call because Dragic was straight up. He did he did he did the best job he could. He played textbook defense. He stood straight up, didn't leave the ground. His hands were straight up. His hands did not come forward at all. And Chris Middleton jumps into him. And there's chest-to-chest contact that the refs determine is enough to call a foul. I could see why, because there was actually contact. But Middleton initiated it. Middleton went into Dragic. Dragic didn't go into Middleton. So I think it would have been better off being a no call. But there is the other argument that Dragic leaned like half an inch into Middleton. And then there's also the landing space argument where Middleton wasn't given room to land. But again, Middleton was the one who went into Dragic. And that's it wasn't enough to be an offensive foul. I think it would have been better off as a no-call. But anyway, after that, Middleton makes all three free throws, and it's tied. And if that wasn't enough controversy for you, we have more. Jimmy Butler gets the ball, has a chance to win the game at the buzzer. He shoots a fadeaway from the corner and is fouled by Giannis Antetokounmpo. Or is he? At the buzzer, they determine. And they leave no time left on the clock. Butler makes both free throws, and the game is over. A 116-114 win for the Miami Heat, who go up 2-0. As for that foul call on Giannis, that was worse than the call on Dragic. There, there was, I mean, like I said, there was contact on that shot, but it was initiated by Middleton. Middleton went into Dragic. But this was a bad call. So Butler created space with a step back on Wesley Matthews, who was guarding him. Giannis came over to help, and he got a hand up. Jumped to his side so he didn't run into him. And he, like, tapped his back to help avoid him. He... He barely, he barely tapped his back. It, he didn't make any other contact other than putting his hand on his back, which wasn't enough. Jimmy Butler just fell down and it made it look like a foul. But in slow-mo replay, I, I don't think Giannis should have been called for it. The only good thing from these calls, if you can even consider it good, is that they were consistent. Both should have been no calls, I believe, 
But as Mark Jackson says, if you're going to call it, call it consistently. I think if one was called and one was not, then there would be issues because there was minimal contact on both. To me, not enough to call either a foul. But at least they did it to both sides to make it fair. But here's my main problem. This is my main problem with the last call. The refs left no time on the clock, which to me implies that the foul occurred after the game was over. The shot was released before the buzzer. But if the foul occurred after the buzzer and you leave no time left on the clock when he shoots the free throws, shouldn't that mean there was no foul during the game and it shouldn't have been called? That's the confusing thing to me. If if you if you left no time on the clock, that would mean the foul occurred after the game was over, which means it didn't happen during the game or in the game and it shouldn't have been called. Maybe continuation comes into this when you consider that the shot was released before the buzzer, but I think there should have been at least some time on the clock, like 0.2 seconds or 0.1, if you're going to give him the free throws. Not that two-tenths of a second or one-tenth of a second would have been enough time for Milwaukee to do anything. But if there's no time left on the clock, to me, that means that the foul occurred after the game is over and it shouldn't be called. So there's my take on that. Okay. Steve Nash, breaking news from earlier today, just this morning was hired, Steve Nash was hired as the Brooklyn Nets' new head coach. And this came out of absolutely nowhere. Some people thought it was going to be Tyron Lue, or, you know, maybe it could have been, no, people weren't thinking Nate McMillan. A lot of people were saying Tyron Lue. Mark Jackson was a possible candidate. But... I, I like this hiring. I mean, I don't like the fact that Nash has zero head coaching experience, like at all. But he coached Durant. He didn't coach Durant. He was a player development consultant. That was his official title with the Golden State Warriors when Kevin Durant was there. He was probably he probably was more of a player development coach anyway. I don't know what the difference between a consultant and a coach is, but. He, the, the relationship between the, those two is already there. So it's a smart hiring from Brooklyn, whose GM, Sean Marks, actually played with Nash on the Suns in the mid-2000s. And Kyrie, Kyrie's cool with it. So as long as you have those two on board, <laughs> it, it really doesn't matter. Because even though Dinwiddie and Lavert and Jordan are talented and they're going to play major roles, you're going to have to listen to KD and Kyrie. So I think I think this was a good hiring because there the relationship between Nash and Durant already existed beforehand. They won championships together. So we will see. The fact that they gave him a four-year deal though was that's that surprised me because that's that's a major commitment for a first-time head coach. But I'm happy. I'm happy for Steve Nash. I mean, he's one of the best guys you'll ever meet just as a person. I mean, he was a great player, back-to-back MVP. He and Steph Curry are the only point guards, I think, to win that award in back-to-back years. But yes, so Steve Nash is the Brooklyn Nets' new head coach, signed a four-year deal with Brooklyn earlier this morning. To wrap up today, this is the NBA history in 2008. Hey, look, it's the Thunder again. 
Oklahoma City team officials unveiled the new the team's new name and logo. The former Seattle SuperSonics franchise was now known as the Oklahoma City Thunder. There are no current NBA players with a September 3rd birthday. We will be back on Saturday with another podcast in reaction to games, the games tonight and Rockets Lakers game one. That series, Houston's going to be fatigued. LA hasn't played in a while. Houston's going to be fatigued. And it's it's hard to, it's hard to say who's going to win. If James Harden and Russell Westbrook play like they have been recently, they have no chance of winning. But if they get back to their normal selves, they have a chance. But, I mean, I think they're going to need seven, which, which would be another very, very long series for them. And I think LeBron would prevail. I really don't know. I said the Rockets would beat the Lakers if they matched up in the second round, so I have to stick with my prediction. But I, the Rockets are... The Rockets better be in good shape because they have played a, they just finished a very long first round series and now they're going up against LeBron and AD. So we'll see how PJ Tucker and Robert Covington do with handling Anthony Davis. The Rockets are two and one against the Lakers this season. So we'll see what happens.